Hey everyone, welcome back for another episode of the Joy and Infertility Podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee Porter, and my hope is that you will join me on this road of finding joy even in infertility. Hey guys, before we get to my conversation with our guest, today's episode is sponsored by Saga, an app designed to keep our family's stories. Just the other day, I was at a family gathering and my grandfather started sharing about his first date with my grandmother who passed away six years ago. The whole time he was talking, I was thinking, man, I wish the rest of my family could hear this because it was so funny. Well, now they can. I just downloaded and started my family an account with Saga. You pick the people whose stories you'd like to hear, and Saga sends them weekly questions like, tell me about you and Granny's first date, or how did you guys meet? You can use their recommended questions, or you can write your own. Your loved ones simply record their answer in their own voice, on their own time, and with no pressure. It's just like leaving a voicemail, so there's no pressure to be on camera, or God forbid, to have to write down something in a journal or a book. The recordings are saved and shared privately with you and your family. So it's like getting your own personal family podcast of your family member stories. It's awesome. I'm so excited to start using this with my family so we can have them for years and generations to come. So, hey, if you're looking for a Mother's Day gift for your mom or your grandmother, this requires no shipping, no cost. That's right. This is absolutely free, and it will be so precious to your entire family, even those miracles that aren't in our lives just yet. So go set up your account and start recording your family stories today. Speaking of stories, my guest today has a story that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Kelsey Nodal is a fellow infertility warrior and more recently, a new adoptive mom. Her story is one for the books and you are not going to want to miss one little detail. One of those things where like if you just hold on a little bit tighter and if you just lean into God a little bit deeper and lament a little bit more, I feel like God will continue to reveal this like flower of beautiful things that he has for you. And it might not be the movie that you made in your mind, but I feel like even more abundant and even more beautiful than what what I could have even created. I don't think I could have even written this story out. There is no doubt about that. I had to have Kelsey on once I found her story on Instagram. I was just captured by her faith and just by the journey that God has taken them on. And I cannot wait for you guys to hear from her. So let's get to my conversation with Kelsey. Kelsey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. So like I said, I know very little about you, but I want, but I know yeah. a little bit about your story and I can't wait to get into it. So tell us a little bit about you and your family and just help us get to know you a little better. Yeah. So, um, I live in North Dakota. Um, it's not part of Canada. Most people think that we <laughs> my are husband, part my of husband swears it is. <laughs> <laughs> it does get cold here. Everybody worries about that, but we have really beautiful summers. Um, my dad passed away at a young age and my mom remarried and we moved up to North Dakota. So I have a older sister and a younger half sister. Um, and then my mom and my stepdad. And so, uh, growing up, life was pretty easygoing, um, went on to college and, uh, graduated with my master's degree as a speech language pathologist. And I work with kids in the ages of birth to three, and it's a huge passion of mine. Um, I met my husband actually in high school and we didn't start dating for a while because, uh, he wanted to join the military and my father was actually in the military and passed away due to a service-related injury. So oh, wow. that for me was 
really like a hard thing to get over that he wanted to join the military. I just didn't know if that was something that I wanted in my life. Um, but God had a different plan. And after my husband um, completed most of his military training, um, we began dating when we were 18 years old. And uh, we dated for five years. And then he finally <laughs> proposed. Um, I give him a hard time about that all the time. And uh, we've been married for a little over seven years. We'll be celebrating our eight-year wedding anniversary this June. So um, it's been a wild ride as far as our marriage. In the early years of our marriage, I was going to graduate school in a different town. And he um, was active in the military after I, oh, it was so much. And after I finished my two-year graduate degree, I moved home and he actually deployed to Afghanistan for a year. So yeah, for the first three years of our marriage, we lived apart. And that was really hard. Um, I wasn't anticipating starting a new marriage, living away, not by choice, from your husband. And um, when he came back from Afghanistan, we took that year just to kind of be married, enjoy each other, and, you know, buy a house and all the things that married people do. Um, And that's kind of when we started talking about growing our family. And, um, at that point, we just thought like, let's just try and see what happens. And uh, I think for us, you know, we didn't have any like thought that we would struggle with infertility. Uh, most of my family actually has the opposite problem. And so we were like, oh, this will happen so fast. And um, I got, you know, just very enthralled in the excitement of it and the joy of that season. Um, and then after about six months in of trying, I think I kind of just knew that we were struggling, but we were too early on into getting a full diagnosis. And so at that point I had really kind of hit just an emotional low point and I wasn't quite sure, like, I didn't know anybody else going through infertility. Um, I didn't even know if that's what we had. Like at that point, I was like, maybe we're just really bad at timing. Like, yeah. I don't know. Um, Isn't it funny how you like start to deflect it back to yourself? Like, yeah. maybe I really don't know how this works. I know sure I'm doing like, this right. <laughs> right. And um, yeah, I just kind of opened up to my mom about it. And, you know, she's been such a huge support to me on this whole journey. And, um, she has such a strong faith and she was just like, you know what, we're just going to pray our way through it. And so, um, for the next six months, she just, you know, threw us into her prayer life and we were consumed in prayer over it. Um, and at that dreaded, you know, one year mark of trying, um, we decided to find out if there was something more going on. So, um, you know, that was, probably the start of my grief process in infertility. Um, I didn't realize how much grieving I would do just getting a diagnosis and going through the steps of, you know, having to go for treatments and, um, get testing done and get labs drawn and all of the appointments and the scheduling and the phone calls that was so overwhelming to me. I had no like framework to reference it on and I had no, 
other female support who was like, I've been through that and let's like chat about it. It just felt like it was just me doing it all. Um, and yeah, so we went through all of our testing and we were diagnosed with unexplained infertility, um, which I think was another kind of grief bomb that hit of, Hey, we don't know what's wrong. Like everything is functioning correctly. Everything is working the way it should be but you can't get pregnant. And so it was kind of like this tension between both things of, I almost like oddly wanted there to be something wrong so I could fix it. And then at the same hand, I didn't want anything to be wrong. So I knew it was okay. And so it was just this weird balance between the two. Um, and I think at that point we were so like, we just believed so strongly that like, oh, we just take this pill and you get pregnant. That's what happens. Like that's what the doctors are saying. And, um, I've been strongly rooted in my faith, but I think at that stage of my life, I was very in like an infancy faith point of like, okay, God must be calling us to do this. So let's just do it. Um, so we started taking, uh, we did Clomid, we tried Letrozole, we tried injections with Gonal F, um, and trigger shots, timed intercourse, like anything, you name it, um, ultrasound monitoring, blood work again. Um, and we did that for six solid months, uh, back to back and no success. Like I never had a positive pregnancy test. Um, they still couldn't really figure out what was going on. And so they were like, well, we want you to move on. And at that point, I think the grief had finally caught up to me running ahead of it. And um, emotionally, I was not ready to move on, Uh, but I didn't want to stop. So I was at this like tug of war point of what are we supposed to do? And I think that's kind of when I had my moment with my husband where we just talked about like, how do we see our family growing and what does our, what is like, what does it look like to have children? Um, you know, what do we feel like God is saying about this? Cause we kind of were just chasing after like the world dream of you get married, you buy a house, you have kids, like you have your job. Um, and I think that's fine to have that desire, but we were becoming slaves to it. Like we were Mm. totally obsessed with it. Um, And he strongly encouraged that we take a break. And that was like the last thing that I wanted to do. I fought tooth and nail for, you know, continuing to try. And I, at that point, wanted to try further interventions, but he just really was like, we just need to take a step back and we need to like pray about this. And, um, it's so important that, that we did that because I feel like, our obedience by pausing and seeking God in it. And just even like letting my husband lead, um, was so healing for our marriage and for a lot of my grief and just knowing what God was really laying on our heart. Like when we were still and we listened to what God was calling, it was something totally different than what we were doing. Mm -hmm. So I think that was, um, pretty amazing that he had the insight just to say like, let's pause for a second. Um, and you know, that wasn't easy. It was a lot of tears, a lot of hard nights of 
I just at that moment felt so alone because I still didn't have a support system um, of women. I just only had my husband and he's an amazing support and was so patient with me and loving, but it's just different when you can connect with another woman who's physically going through the same pain and emotion as you. And, um, so we ended up taking a break. We took six months off. And in that six months, my desperation for finding just God in this, that craving just increased greatly. And that's really where I found a lot of my support from that season of, you know, not chasing after a baby. And my prayer changed from, God, give us a baby to God, give me community. And um, in that prayer, um, he opened up, like God opened up so many doors for us just to connect with other women. And it has really been an amazing blessing, but we, um, I ended up finding Moms in the Making online, which is a support group out of Dallas, Texas. And that gave me so much encouragement just to follow along. And the main reason why I actually started following that page was because Caroline, the founder, was doing something that I felt like was so radical. She was believing for miracles before a baby was in her arms. Like she was out there, mm-hmm. like declaring healing over her body. And she didn't have a baby or she wasn't currently pregnant. And I felt like most of what I was seeing was women who were like, yeah, I was in that, but now my miracle is here and I'm going to scream it from the mountaintop. And right. I was like, the bows, the bows on the present. It's the yeah, story is complete. It's yeah. Perfectly wrapped. It looks really pretty. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, I want that one. Um, but Caroline had a different story and that really attracted me towards Mm -hmm. just what she had to say. And I learned so much from her testimony and just her obedience to share. Um, I ended up being able to connect with other women through her page. And ultimately that led me to find some really amazing girls that actually lived like within miles of my house. It was totally There's other people that live in North Dakota. There's other people. That's crazy. So wild. Okay, to our listeners, if yes. Kelsey can find people who deal with infertility miles from her house in North Dakota, you guys yes. got this. You can find. You can community. do it too. Yes, they are out there. They are out there. there I promise hope. you, there is hope. Yes, um, and it was crazy because I think how we found each other was um, a post was talking about weather. And of course it was like winter at that time. And, uh, I think Caroline was doing like a giveaway for where's the coldest. And I was like, I got this. Like it was like negative 36 degrees. It was so cold here. And, um, I think I commented and someone else was like, what? It's the same temp here. Do you live in North Dakota? And I was like, (gasps) Jesus, is that you? You know, like (laughs) I just had a moment of like, Oh my gosh, it's somebody, just a person. And so, um, that one person that I connected with ended up having her own connections that she had built. And so my gosh, we, yeah, we like suddenly it, it felt like it was overnight that, you know, one day I had like nobody. And then the next day I had this group of like five women who, I was literally sitting like knee to knee with Mm. at a table, just blindly meeting them on the weirdest like blind date 
friend date ever and sharing our stories of infertility and faith. And it was like, I think I left that moment with those girls and I came home and my husband was just like, wow, like you're different. Like something is different here. And it was just the medicine that I needed in the moment for my grief of feeling like I was walking so alone in that season. Um, and God just gave me the perfect medicine of these amazing girls. And, um, you know, and ultimately that led to me wanting to connect with other people. And we now have like a connection of 35 women locally, um, that meet like regularly and we just encourage each other and lift each other up because, you know, we're, this area is a little bit remote, but, um, (laughs) you know, there's people and these women are not alone and, you know, we're not alone. And that was such a gift. Part of me wants to say like, how random is it that like a random giveaway about temperature led you to support. But then again, I have no doubt that Caroline is sitting there probably saying, all right, father, what do you want me to say? (laughs) Okay. So it was probably completely divinely ordained. (laughs) A hundred percent agree. Cause I'm like, what are the chances? I don't even think I wrote like where I'm from. I think I just wrote the temperature and somebody was able to like, they were like, Oh, that's the temperature here. It's just so crazy. When you think about the smaller parts of it, when you're like, Oh God, you are so good. And the fact that Um, you had just prayed that like, yeah, community, I need community more than a baby right now. Right. That is so good. Yeah. And it was like an instant prayer answered. And I think that's where I started to encounter God in a new way. I realized that like he is my Jehovah Jireh, my provider, and he is going to continue to provide for me, even though it looks different than what I want it to be, or than what like the world tells me it should be. Um, and so I actually went to the moms in the making conference with these like stranger girls that I had just met. (laughs) We flew down to Texas and we stayed all in a hotel room together and, you know, now they're like some of my best friends. They, they feel more like sisters to me than, um, you know, than these random girls that are also going through infertility. And, uh, it's just, it was pretty healing to me in that moment. Um, so we had like cultivated our friendship for a few months up until that point. And then we went to moms in the making. And at that time, my husband kind of felt like maybe we should go back and get another opinion for, um, reproductive medicine. And so we were kind of juggling a few things. He had also talked a little bit about adoption and adoption has always really been on my husband's heart. And, um, you know, at that moment I was like, okay, yeah, that might be cool. Like down the road, but right now, like, I'm just not sure that I feel that same call. So let's just keep praying about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I actually was at Moms in the Making conference and the day we flew back, um, the next day we did um, an IUI and I I was just like so at peace. I was kind of on like this like fire from conference and just felt like I had all these like words that I stored up in my heart of like, yes, God, you're going to do it. You're going to do it again. Um, And then when we found out that it failed, I... I just like sunk right back into that like deep grief state. Um, and that's when I knew that my heart 
still wasn't fully healed from grieving infertility. And that even though I had this great support of women and community that I could connect with, I still was missing something. And that's actually when I started to seek out some grief counseling, um, specifically for infertility. And, um, you know, we're lucky enough to have that here. And so, you know, another plug, like if North Dakota has a therapist that is certified for grieving infertility, I guarantee you can find one hopefully where you like where your listeners live. So I started seeing a counselor and just kind of talking through the whole grief process because that's really what it is. And I think that isn't talked about a whole lot. It's just like, go to the next thing, keep going, keep going, keep going until you get your baby. Um, but not everybody's story ends with a pregnancy or a baby, or you maybe have these like fairy tales kind of created in your heart and you feel disappointed or angry at God when they don't come to fruition. And I think that's where I was. I had created these like storylines of these little movies in my head of this is what my life is going to be like. And I was disappointed when it wasn't. And I think God wanted to show me so much more than the tiny movie in my head, but I didn't know how to get there. Um, and I think in moments like that, people come in and they'll give you like little, I call them like lifesavers where they like taste good for a second, but they don't last very long. And so they'll throw you little lifesaver comments. Like, you know, if God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. Or, um, you know, just give it to God and, um, things like that. They, they like mean well, but they don't last long enough to endure many, many nights of crying and just the physical and emotional aches that your body goes through battling infertility. Um, and so well, going through just those comments, they don't, they don't mean anything, but if you, yeah, if they're yours, like you said, you had your words from the conference, they were, yeah. God spoke those to you and they weren't just in your head. They were deep, deep in your spirit. Yeah. Then, then they endure. Yeah. And I felt, I almost felt like those words that God had given me, um, they were like tiny little seeds that I had planted and I just wanted to like take care of them so well so that they could grow because I was at such a fragile state that, you know, it was like, is this going to fall on some like rocky soil and not really plant and like root very well? Or is this going to be something that I can hold on to and declare and remind myself time and time again, no matter what I'm seeing, no matter the circumstance, no matter the amount of negative pregnancy tests I've seen, just knowing these words that God has spoken over me are true and that they don't fade or wear over time. And they just, the roots go stronger and deeper. The more I declare them over my life, that's what I wanted so badly. Um, so you know, after our first failed IUI, we of course were like, well, let's give it a go again um, and see what happens. And we did our second IUI. And at the exact same time, we had been praying more about adoption. Um, and I recall the exact moment of standing in our closet. I think I was like putting clothes away and my husband came in and I just looked at him and I said, you know, I think, I think we need to like look more into adoption. Like, I really just feel like 
I, I didn't want to be pessimistic because I knew we were like in the middle of medication for our second IUI, but I just, I don't know. It's like, I knew in my heart that that isn't what God wanted for us. Or at that moment, that's not where he was calling us. Like, I just felt this like strong urge to want to know more about adoption. And we went through with the second IUI. And, um, at the same time, we also started meeting with local agencies, um, for adoption and our foster care. We looked into that as well. And, um, we met with three local agencies here in town and interviewed them and kind of asked them all these questions about adoption and what does this mean and what's the process and, you know, we were so naive. We were like, how long does it take? Like everybody's favorite question. Um, or how much does it cost? And, uh, <laughs> that, that, um, you know, we were just so new to the process. We didn't have any framework to understand emotionally. It, it's so much more than that. It just, you know, the time and the money. Um, so we got all the information. We went ahead with our second IUI and it again resulted in a negative test. And I think that for me was a moment where I had built up enough confidence in the words that God had given me and the trust and just the intimacy that I had developed with him that I knew, I knew we were done at that moment for mm. our fertility treatments. And, uh, we never called them back. Like they were, I think we left our IUI and they were like, call us with your positive pregnancy test. And I was like, okay. And oh we left and, they know better than that. <laughs> and it was negative. And so I was like, well, oh. do you want me to call you? Um, but you know, at that moment, I wasn't angry. I wasn't as angry as I thought I would be with mm-hmm. that comment. Cause I just, I like knew in my heart that God was going to call us to something deeper. Mm-hmm. And again, it was that tension of a little bit of fear because adoption is scary. Um, and also a little bit of excitement of like, wow, this is a totally new adventure and what kind of path, like what wilderness door are we opening right now where God is just going to lead us down to something totally different. And, um, it was scary, but exciting kind of both of the feelings together. And we both felt like confident in it. And I think emotionally I was at a really healthy point in my grief. I had grieved infertility. Like I had spent months with a counselor just, questioning and going through the emotional high and low of infertility. And I was at a stage of my journey where I felt like I was okay moving forward, knowing that we might not have a biological child. And to me, that was completely fine. Like I had grieved that loss and I really wanted to do that before we jumped into adoption because adoption does not heal the grief and the pain of infertility. It, yeah. It's like it, many people will tell, you know, women going through infertility, like, why don't you just adopt? Yeah. And it's not about filling the cradle. It's not about this baby. It's, it's about what God is calling you to. And so it's so much deeper than that. And luckily we, I feel like Sean and I, my husband and I were able to get to a stage where growing our family didn't just mean biology to us. Like we just wanted to experience parenthood. And we felt so strongly that God was saying like, this is what I have for you. Um, 
and he had given me words of like, I'm going to, I'm going to make this happen and I'm going to come through for you. And it's going to be scary. Like I felt like I knew it was going to be hard mm-hmm. and he's adopting you. Yeah. And I feel like our early in our marriage, like living apart and having to rely on communication pretty much for the first three years of our marriage, um, you know, then going through infertility and now moving to adoption, we had to like build up our faith muscle through that to basically get us through adoption. Um, and I didn't, I didn't understand how hard it would be. Um, so you I think if of, you just jumped straight to adoption, you guys would not have been prepared for it. I don't think so. Yeah. yeah. Especially, you know, like now being on the other side of our adoption journey, I don't know that I could have weathered the heartbreak and the excitement and the fear and the financial and everything as well as we weathered it without, if I just would have jumped right when he said, let's adopt and been like, okay, sure. Um, I, I just don't think we would be at a healthy point in our yeah. parenting journey and, or in our marriage. Mm. Um, so he used your infertility <laughs> to prepare you. for <laughs> It's so crazy. And it's, it's to the point now, like I always heard people say like, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for God using infertility in my life. And I would be like, that woman is crazy. <laughs> But now I can understand. And it's one of those things where like, if you just hold on a little bit tighter and if you just lean into God a little bit deeper and lament a little bit more, I feel like God will continue to reveal this like flower of beautiful things that he has for you. And it might not be the movie that you made in your mind, but it's still going to be I feel like even more abundant and even more beautiful than what, what I could have even created. I don't think I could have even written this story out, um, of how we came to meet our daughter. It's just totally crazy. Um, yes. Yeah. So we started our, um, adoption process in 2019. So we had decided on doing uh, infant domestic adoption, which basically just means that adopting an infant within the greater U.S. Um, and we luckily had continuously been connected. Like God just lined up people in our life. The more that we started sharing about our story and sharing what we were going through, I feel like he just, God just put people into our life where we could lean on them in these hard times, everything started moving. It just felt so crazy to finally get to a point where we had passed the home study. We had done all the psychological assessments. We had, you know, had all the questions asked of us, done fingerprints and background checks, like pretty much anything you could imagine we had done. So it felt like the ball was rolling. It just felt like things were moving And in August, we saw some of our first um, profiles. So how it worked with our consultant agency is we would actually see the profiles of the expectant parents. And then we could decide if we would like to um, submit our profile for them to see. So it kind of was this like little bit of, you know, control for our part, but also for the expectant parents Mm -hmm. as well to control 
um, you know, what profiles they wanted to see and potentially what adoptive parents they wanted to match with. So we presented consistently um, in August, September, October, November, and December. And all of the times that we presented, we were just 100% all in with each um, story that we were reading. You know, we prayed over these expectant families and over these babies that they were carrying. And we just kind of went in with God, if this is for us, like make a way for us. And I just clung to the verse, like Isaiah 43, 19. That was just something that I would repeat over myself. Like you are making a way in the desert, in the streams, in the wasteland, like, I just trusted that so strongly. Um, and God had given me words of, you know, just to hang on to and grip on to. And so I just feel like we praised our way through it, but it still didn't take away the ache of hearing not yet or no. Um, I think that almost felt like an added rejection a little bit to, you know, they chose another family. Um, it almost was like, oh my gosh, is something wrong with us? Are we, do we like not have enough? Is our book not enough? Um, and you kind of fall into that comparison trap again, but overall, um, what it led us to was in January of this year of 2020, we, um, presented to an expectant mom and we got a call that she wanted to keep some profiles and think about them overnight. And we got a call that ours was one of the profiles. And so we literally were like, this is the closest we've ever been. Like this could be happening. And she was due fairly soon in February. So oh, wow. we, yeah. So we were like, she, like, and like no, it was like in four weeks, like we could <laughs> be parents and it was just such a wild emotional oh. ride. Um, and so I remember writing the story yourself in your head, like, yeah, of course in four weeks, like we had to wait yes. this long, but we don't have to wait long now. Right. It's like, am I prepared? Wait, do oh. we have everything? Like what's all going to happen? And I just started going through the script of my mind of like, you know, if she chooses us, what does this mean? And how are we going to announce? And you get excited and you just kind of let yourself, you know, I, I remember a friend telling me like every baby that you see deserves to have the excitement of preparation for them. And so I did it afraid. I was totally scared to dive in, to be excited but I tried so hard to look at every situation with excitement because I thought if this is our baby, then, you know, what, what do I want to tell him or her when I remind them, like when I heard of you, you know, mommy felt like this. So mm -hmm. I just tried to build that excitement in my heart. And I think I talked to God more than ever before. And I, just kind of cried out to my deepest heart of him of like, this is, this is in your hands. And a few days after we had gotten the call that she was looking at profiles for an extended period, um, we actually got another call, uh, that this expectant mom had chose us. And it was just such a emotional time. I, I think I didn't 
I was just in so much disbelief of like, wait, what? Are you sure you called the right people? Like Kelsey and Sean, right? And she's like, yes, yes. Um, And so I think in that moment, I had the first feeling of like elation in a long time. It was just this feeling of hope and excitement and almost like, when can we talk to her? You know, we just really wanted to hear from her and hear how she was doing. Um, our hearts have really been wanting an open adoption. And so we wanted to connect with this expectant mom and just hear from her. So a few short days after she had chose us, we started communicating back and forth and it's awkward at best. (laughs) Like you just, want to know this person so much, but you have to treat it like a natural relationship too, that, you know, those take time to grow. And we had like four weeks for it to grow. We pretty much were communicating every single day. Um, and then in early February, um, we started hearing some talk that she potentially would need a C-section. So, um, she had asked us if we would like to be present. You know, she just said, I want you guys to be here. So could you come down? And she lived in Florida. So we uh, made arrangements, but we didn't really know exactly when she would have her C-section. The amazing photographer that had done our home session had given us a surprise adoption maternity session. We were at her studio Uh, taking pictures. And instead of holding your tummy for pregnancy, we were holding our heart because this baby was just growing immensely in our heart. And um, while we were at that photo session, the caseworker from uh, that was working with this expectant mom had actually called us and said, she's going to have a C-section tomorrow. So can you get on a plane and be here by eight in the morning? And we were like, "Uh, what? knowing that she wanted us there. Um, she had asked me to be in the, um, OR room and she had kind of outlined what she felt comfortable with for her birth plan. And so we had been chatting with her and we were like, we're going to get on a plane tomorrow. We got to Florida, um, like right in time. And luckily for us, her, um, surgery time was a little bit delayed. So they, we didn't have to rush as much, um, but we were able to meet her. So I went to the hospital and met her, you know, where we were like these two women in this crazy scenario of, you know, like, I just didn't know how to act. I didn't want to overstep. I just wanted her to feel so loved. And so I just continuously prayed like, Jesus, just help me love this mama. Like, let me be here for her through my fear. And I just remember feeling so at peace and so comfortable. Um, she had made so many comments about how comfortable she was feeling and, you know, how, how much she wanted us there. Um, she didn't have any other family that was coming to the hospital. So she really strongly wanted us to stay there with her. And right before she was about to go back for, um, her C-section, the uh, doctor had come in and kind of gave her some information about some changes that were happening. And, um, they just really strongly encouraged her to think about doing a vaginal birth because that's kind of where she was progressing to. 
but she ended up choosing to try and deliver vaginally. And so what was supposed to be like a quick, you know, oh my gosh, baby's here turned into like, we were at the hospital with her for 28 hours uh, while she labored. Ultimately, she ended up delivering and I was right there with her in the delivery room, held her hand as she labored and pushed this beautiful baby girl out. And um, her plan was for, she really wanted me to go straight to the nursery with the baby. So that's what happened. So I went straight with the baby to the nursery and my husband came up and met her and we gave her her first bath and we got to hold her skin to skin. We gave her her first bottle and just like, we were looking at each other, like, is this real? This is totally crazy. And just this complete joy. Like I just remember looking at my husband and he was like glowing and, um, we were able to just spend time with this precious little girl. Um, and then that evening, uh, they did not allow us to have our own hospital room just because it was, uh, the hospital's policy. And at that point, the birth mom did not want baby in her room. So she was going to stay in the nursery and, uh, we had to leave, uh, cause visiting hours were over. And so they were like, come back tomorrow. Cause she's going to be discharged and bring all of your stuff. Um, so we went to the hotel and I set my alarm for like 5.00 AM. Cause I think visitors could come at like six. And, um, I was like, we're going to get there right away. So we went to bed, uh, woke up the next morning, started getting ready, kind of packing the little bag. And um, the birth mom had actually contacted us and said, would you mind waiting a little bit? Um, Because I'd like to have a chance to say goodbye. And of course, we were like, whatever you need, we want to support you, like take as much time, let us know when you're comfortable to have us there. And about an hour later, we got a call from the agency saying that she had actually um, changed her mind and decided to parent. And in that moment, I just had like a visceral reaction. Um, I actually like instantly became like physically ill. Um, And I remember the um, caseworker like talking on the phone, but I could not coherently understand anything she was saying. And it felt like the grips of motherhood were right in my hands only to be ripped away. And I remember feeling so instantly angry at God that he would make so many ways for us for this to happen only to have it ripped away. Like I felt like, what kind of father are you to take something from us. And it was just my instant emotional processing of that moment. Uh, legally, I think she has um, four, 24 to 72 hours to decide on parenting. But the caseworker was telling us, you know, in her situation, sometimes they might go home and then realize like, whoa, I remember all the reasons why I wanted to make an adoption plan. And that hasn't changed. So maybe I'm going to change my mind again. And they really just wanted to make sure that we were potentially still there if that would happen. But she did notify us that, you know, it's very rare. And so she was like, it would be shocking 
Um, but we, we were just like, you know, we're, we're just going to pray over her and love her and support her in any way that we can. And so we sent her a message to let her know that, you know, we, we aren't angry at her and we love her. Like we had developed this relationship of, being present for one of the most intimate moments of her life and this precious baby girl's life. And we just wanted her to know how much we loved her. And I felt like that was the only way that I could show her Jesus is loving her through my greatest heartbreak. Like I was so sad for myself, but I also had so much respect and I could understand, like I fell in love with this same baby too. And so I could understand how it was hard for her to make the choice for adoption. And so ultimately she decided to parent. Um, and so my husband and I, we ended up just feeling like we needed to get out of that immediate city. So we didn't leave Florida right away. We ended up going, um, to the coast and just checking in at like a hotel with a beach view And, um, we ended up staying there for a few days and I think that was really helpful for our grief. Um, cause it came on almost like death, you know, it, it felt like I had lost a baby that died, um, all these hopes and dreams and anticipation and just sharing about her arrival. And then to now have to go back and say, just kidding. Like it's, it's not happening. And telling our parents was super hard because they were of course, very emotional for us. And, um, but it was nice to be away and not have to answer questions. And I just remember like thinking like, God, deep calls to deep, like you are calling me deeper. And I have no idea for what reason, but I have no other choice than to trust you through this. And just how, he continues to weave things together in our stories for the good. And, you know, if it's, if it's still on our hearts, like I just felt like we just needed to take this time and lament and grieve in our deepest grief. And, um, that was, it's probably one of the hardest moments that I've ever walked through. And I think for us, it was just so challenging to know exactly like what our next step would be. Um, so we ended up flying home and I had such amazing friends that came and they, you know, cracked the nursery door so that it wasn't fully shut, but it wasn't wide open. Um, we had all these, you know, baby clothes and gifts that were given to us before we left. And that was all just tucked away in the room. And I just was like, I can't look at it right now, but maybe someday I can. And I took some time off of work and just, I grieved. I, I went back to counseling again and um, just kind of tried to work through the whole emotional process of losing this baby that was never really mine. If that like makes, I don't know if that makes sense, but um, you know, she was never fully ours and having that grief of where, where does our story go from here? What is God calling for us? Like, are we just supposed to be like husband and wife? And do we hear wrong? Like I had all of these questions. And I think what I realized through a lot of my counseling is that, um, you know, God does not mean to be confusing. And so 
I felt like that was the first time that it was like an attack of, you know, of the enemy coming to kill our dream of adoption, to destroy our hope and to steal the thousands of dollars that we lost in our, um, failed match. And I really wanted to like jump back into that controlling spot of, I just don't want to do this anymore. I just want to be done. Like it hurts too bad. I don't know how God can redeem this. And, um, I feel like God just continued to give me so many words and he was so present in my deepest grief and lamenting that it was like, I couldn't stop hearing from him. And again, he spoke through my husband and immediately my husband was like, after two weeks, he was like, I want to go active again. And I was like, how we don't have any money. Like we can't afford this. And he was like, I just want to go active again. Um, and so we prayed about it and we just kind of talked with family and, you know, just tried to mirror it up to, are we hearing correctly? You know, is this, are you guys going to support us if we do this again? And, um, the resounding answer was yes. And so honestly, I just did it scared. I was terrified. Um, but we went active again with our agency and a week later we got to see, um, another profile from an expectant family also from Florida and, um, yeah, do with a baby girl. And we struggled to know if it was like, do we present again? Do we, what do we do? It was so scary. And we, we had said early on in our adoption journey, like if we are both in agreement, then we can trust that God is saying yes. But if we were in disagreement of presenting or not, then we should just continue to pray about it. And so we both were in agreement, but we were both afraid. And um, so we decided to present. And two days later, we got a call that we had matched and I about fell out of my chair, I think. Um, So what was the timeframe between? So the... Um, the first baby that we were matched with was born February 9th. And then, um, our second match was March 4th. So less than a month. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I would, uh, have done it if it weren't for God. And I just continued to remember my friend saying like every single baby deserves to have somebody excited for them. And so all I did was I prepared this place in my heart for this baby. And I just continued to pray my way through it and to lament to God of if, if this is another no, and we get there, I just need you to come rescue me again. Like I, I didn't think I could survive it. I was so afraid of the pain and the heartbreak that I felt. Um, but God just continued to provide for me this unresounding answer of like, he is making a way he's opening this door and he just needed me to trust him. And so we, we did it. Um, but we did it afraid. And at the same time, coronavirus really came into play. <laughs> yeah, which, I was about to say, wasn't this all like, around the time? Like, yeah. Everything it, broke loose. 
everything broke loose. And you know, it was present when we were down in Florida, like they were talking about it, but it wasn't as restricted. And so in this scenario, you know, we matched March, March 4th and we flew down to Florida on March 23rd. At that time, like airlines were not flying as much and people were wearing masks and like pretty much any essential or any non-essential business was closed. And we had some roadblocks. Like my husband is full-time active duty and our state actually put a restriction on him traveling um, for a non-essential cause. And so we had to get like approval from some of the highest people in the military in our state to say like, yeah, you can travel. We also had an opportunity to talk with um, the expectant parents at the time. And so we mostly talked with the expectant mom and we kind of chatted back and forth. Um, She was a little bit more private. And um, so our communication was a little less, but we still like throwing your antennas up. Like, she doesn't want to get to know. I was so scared. I'm like, does she even like us? Like what, what does she see in us? And I just, I was so afraid. I didn't want to push, but I also wanted to get to know her and for her to get to know us. And it was this tension of like, I think God just pruned it from me of like, that doesn't serve you. Like, just put your trust in me. Don't put your trust in this worldly thing, this communication, put your trust in me. And so, um, that it took a lot. And literally the day before our flight was to leave, my husband got approval. Um, I think at like 11 PM at night of yes, you can travel. So we flew down, there was 20 people on our flight. We stayed at an Airbnb just to limit the interaction with other people at a hotel. Um, and then, so we got there and then it was like radio silence. Like we didn't hear from the expectant parents at all. We are just like, Oh my gosh, what did we just do? And I just had to distract myself, which was really hard because there was nothing like with coronavirus. You couldn't even, go do anything. We couldn't do anything. Yeah. So ultimately we got the call. Um, we got to talk to the expectant father and he let us know their uh, birth plan. And uh, at that moment, many of the hospitals were also restricting visitors and making different regulations for their policy just to keep everybody safe. And so we weren't quite sure if we'd even get to be in the hospital at all. Um, but luckily the caseworker and honestly, like the expectant father did a lot of advocating for us, which has been so humbling just to know that they've like fought for us um, as part of what they wanted. And they voiced that often, like we want them here. Um, so the hospital made accommodations and they actually surprisingly gave us our own room to stay in, um, which we were very shocked over, especially with, uh, coronavirus. And so we, um, waited until, uh, the expectant father called us and said, Hey, she's eight or nine centimeters. You guys can make your way here. Um, she'll be pushing soon. And, um, the expectant mom had asked that I be present in the delivery room, which I was really afraid over because I thought it might be a triggering experience for me. Mm -hmm. Um, just watching another 
baby be born and worrying about, is this it? Can I attach to her? Should I like bond? How do I, you know, move through that? And so I was super afraid. Um, we got to the hospital at about, it was probably like nine o'clock at night and we had to go through a screening procedure, um, due to the coronavirus stuff going on. And then they wouldn't let us in, um, because they, they had like mixed communication from the security and the labor and delivery floor. And so we ended up like having to wait outside for over an hour. And at this point I told my husband, I'm like, she has already had the baby. Like there is no way that we're going to come in and you know, this is all going to be, I was just so worried and trying to release anything that I could. Um, but ultimately they were able to call like someone, the highest security person within the hospital and they gave the, okay, which again, God's favor and like his story of redemption for us is just totally unreal. Um, how that happened. I don't know, but, and then, uh, the expectant father came and got me and she, um, the expectant mom could only have one person in the room and she wanted me. And so that felt, yeah, it felt so just the weight of it, of like, she trusts me enough to choose me. And also the fear of, am I enough for her? Can I love her enough after what we've been through and what she's Mm -hmm. facing and just the, you know, the emotional tension of it. But I just, you know, anointed myself and put on the armor of God and said, okay, I'm going in. And, um, you know, uh, she labored for a long time and she was so strong and we held hands and we cried and we laughed and everything together. And, um, then Navy was born and placed right into my arms and right into my heart. And it was, I was so worried about connecting and bonding with her, but it was an instantaneous, I just was fully in all in on this precious little one, no matter the outcome. Like I just thought, if this is it, I love you. And if this isn't it, I'm going to love you too. Um, and so kind of a similar, um, story of the birth mom then wanted us to follow the baby to the nursery. And then she wanted, um, the baby to be in our room. And so we just went straight with Navy up to the nursery and again, gave her a bath did all of the nursery cares, gave her her first bottle, spent time, um, just, you know, hearing from the nurses, how she was doing. And then, uh, got to bring her to our room and Sean got to meet her. So yeah, we stayed with uh, Navy in the hospital for two days and then she was discharged and um, the birth parents uh, signed everything. And I just remember being like, it's like, we can go with her. It just felt so weird to Someone's leave. Come yeah. I'm like, yeah I'm like, um, this is okay. Right. <laughs> like our, caseworker was like, yeah, yeah, this good. And, um, yeah, yeah it just felt so, I don't know. Girl, it was, 
after after I I delivered my my oh. own child that first time, yeah. I, I Jay and I both kept saying the same thing in the hospital. We're like, someone's gonna come in and take her. Like this, this yeah. we're just babysitting. This this cannot be real. Like this cannot be ours. She cannot be coming with us. And yeah, we felt that for two days. And when we took her home, that's when when I got in the car. That's when I lost it because I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is real now. <laughs> yes, it 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 just hits you like suddenly. Yes. I don't know if it was like all of the hormones and the like release of these years. I mean, we had been waiting for four years for growing our family. And now it was like, suddenly it was here and God just moved so suddenly to heal our grief and to bring us to Navy. And I had no doubts that like, she was our daughter and it just felt like her birth parents were an extension of us and that we have this love for them that only a select few people will ever understand. You know, it's just been such a roller coaster. And I feel like now looking back at it, it's just our whole story of our marriage and infertility and the failed adoption. And then this, I feel like has just strengthened my faith muscle into parenthood. And it's amazing how different your faith becomes in parenthood because you're relying on Jesus for something totally different to like get me through the day or to help me like sleep better or, um, <laughs> you know, just not have these fears and worries of this brand new little baby. And yes, you um, can't protect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on the outside. Yeah. yeah. Now they're like here and you're like, Oh, I just feel so much responsibility. And I think even more that, her birth parents chose us and, you know, that we made specific promises to them. And we have this like weight and pressure of like, I want to uphold these and I want to be like so loving and honoring to you. Um, and I think too, like knowing almost the grief that they're in, like they left the hospital with empty armed and we left the hospital with Navy. And just, I know how that, I don't know how it feels as like a birth parent, but I know how it feels to leave the hospital empty armed and to come home to grief and just to sort through that. And it, it, it's this weird feeling of joy and sorrow, you know, and it's the two together. And every time I look at Navy, I just think like, I just tell her her story like now, because I want her to grow up knowing that she has birth parents that love her and that, made this choice, um, and chose us as her parents. And, you know, we believe that God continued to orchestrate through that. Um, but it's her story and it's not just our story of infertility and or adoption. It's Navy's birth parents story and it's Navy's story. And it's these three like threads woven together to make this tapestry of what God had called us to. And, I just don't think there's any way I could have ever imagined that this would be, you know, how our season of parenthood starts. Yeah. It's going to be a crazy story to tell her just from, I mean, weeks weeks before and then what she came into, what the world was like. I mean, it's just... It's going to be a very, very spicy birth story for her. Oh, yeah. I know. Right. but like you said, I just, I would love to know the, know the stats. And I, like you said earlier, it's not, 
adoption is not a replacement for infertility because there is a grief that you have to go through. You, you know, if you choose adoption, you are grieving the fact that you aren't going to carry this child. But I would love to know the stats of how many people like you guys who, sure, yeah, adoption sounds good one day, but first, but because of infertility, God led your hearts to this path and this story and how many lives are changed and saved, how many babies will get to grow up in loving God-centered homes because he put that on your heart in the midst of what you thought was devastating infertility, yeah. end of the world news. Um, I know there's people that are born with that desire. Like we, we want to adopt a baby. That's always my, that's always my dream. Mm-hmm. But there are people who don't have that desire until they realize like, oh, wait, God, let me take a second and listen to what you want us to do. Yeah. And so I think he, I think he uses infertility sometimes to do that. And I think it's really beautiful that he redeems it in that way. Absolutely. Well, your story is, I've been like on the edge of my seat just <laughs> listening, because that is when I found you. That's when I found your, your Instagram was you were at the, I think you were either outside of a hospital or outside of an airport or something. Yeah. And yep. it was like, you were going in to get your, you know, that first match that you were going to go meet your daughter. And then the next yeah. post was like you holding your suitcase saying you're going home with your hands empty. I was like, what is happening? So yeah. I started, I started reading all of your posts and then <laughs> I like fo- like four or five weeks later, <laughs> you have a baby in your hands. Yes. Like, what is happening? <laughs> so I'm really glad I could hear all the, all the details. That's just crazy. And I feel like you've yeah. woven in so many things that God has taught you through the journey from the very beginning to the end. But as we close out, cause we could talk forever. I know. <laughs> but what do you have anything that you would want to share with the women listening? I know you're a listener yourself, so you know kind yeah. of what these podcasts are about. So do you have anything that you would sh- want to share? Yeah. I think the biggest thing that I learned during this whole experience was just turning absolute every ounce of worry into worship. And that I didn't have to have this like perfect surrendered worship. It could be messy. And it was, I was in the middle of just the weirdest season and the deepest grief, but God just wanted my heart. And I think the biggest thing I learned is that when I worshiped him through the most painstaking amount of negative pregnancy tests or, you know, failed treatments, a failed match, like, I just continued to worship and I used it as a weapon. And I feel like that was my greatest tool to just know that I was fully surrendered and I was chasing 100% after Jesus. And it wasn't this worship of give me a baby. It was a worship of here I am, like take my heart and just lay on my life this story that you have for us. And I think that is probably my biggest takeaway that I would encourage other women to do in their seasons as well. Kelsey, thank you so much for sharing your crazy story with us. I am so inspired by you continuing to allow God to move in your life. And you are always willing to show Jesus even in the midst of your deepest suffering. As we head into this weekend being Mother's Day, I know it's going to bring on some really hard moments for many of you. It's a really hard day. Do you put on a brave face and go to church? brave the well-meant but hurtful comments from people in your life? Or do you just sit at home and hide out? I'm not going to tell you which choice that you should make or what you should do this weekend. I'm going to let you and the Lord decide that together. But I do want to encourage you with something that Kelsey said. I want you to turn your worry, or in this case, turn your hurt 
into worship. Let our worship be a weapon this weekend, a weapon against an enemy that is going to try to make you feel isolated and left out this weekend. Fight back. I want to read you something out of my favorite devotional. I talk about it all the time. New Morning Mercies. You can go to my resource page on the website and pick it up there. But I read it this morning and I just thought it was a good reminder for us this weekend as we go into Mother's Day. You could do nothing more important than to wake up every morning of your life and remind yourself that the one who created and controls everything that exists has been made by grace to be your father. He thinks of you with pure and faithful fatherly love. He acts toward you with the giving, providing, instructing, patient, and forgiving love of a perfect father. He is always with you. His hand is always upon you. He never stops watching you. His heart is always for you. He is always at work accomplishing his plans for you and through you. He lifts your burdens and lightens your load. He is your God, your Savior, your friend, and your Father. Nothing can ever be the same again because you now live in the Father's house where glorious grace decorates every room. I know so many of you want nothing more than to be a mother, and this weekend brings out that hurt. But in the midst of that pain, I just want to encourage you to worship our Father because He is right there in the midst of your pain, doing something in you that is beautiful. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Joint Infertility Podcast. Isaiah 40, 31 says this, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Remember, God is with you. He sees your heart. He loves you and He is good. There will be beauty born from your journey. Have a great day.